Hey everybody, if you haven't had the opportunity yet to fill out the Kids Listen survey that helps us understand how families are using podcasts, please take a minute to do so. We actually have about two more weeks, it's until the middle of November, that the survey will be open. This information is crucial to kids podcasters, many of whom are creating, you know, like myself, um, in their spare time and really trying to make things bigger and better for you, the listeners. So um, this information really, really helps us and will help us prove our validity to the world. So please take a moment to do so. You can find the survey at the top of kidslisten.org. Thank you very much. On with the show. And a good day to you wherever you are. I'm Mick Sullivan, and this is The Past and the Curious. Thank you for joining us, and this is episode 72, which happens to be about Edgar Allan Poe and also a man with whom he had an on-again, off-again friendship, enemy-frenemy sort of thing, named Rufus Wilmont Griswold. Uh, And that relationship may have really helped Edgar Allan Poe become the timeless author that he has come to be known as. In addition to that, we're going to share a little bit of insight behind Poe's most famous poem, The Raven, and do a dramatic reading with musical accompaniment of that very poem. Edgar Allan Poe's work is actually very near and dear to my heart. For about eight years, I was involved in a theater production that centered around Edgar Allan Poe. Um, It was an annual event, and I did all of the music and other things involved with it. Um, And uh, I really got to know a broad scope of his work inside and out so it's really cool and i'm excited to share it with you i hope you enjoy this is not necessarily halloween and it is not necessarily spooky on october 9th 1849 the new york daily tribune published an obituary which is an official announcement about someone's death This one was longer than most and was credited to someone who identified themselves simply as Ludwig. It begins. Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it. The poet was well known, personally or by reputation, in all this country. He had readers in England and in several of the states of continental Europe. But he had few or no friends. Dang! From there, Ludwig writes hundreds of more words to paint a picture of an unstable, troubled, and mysteriously dark man. Not unlike one of the characters you might find in one of the stories that Poe himself wrote. The obituary would help shape the way that people remembered Edgar Allan Poe forevermore, even though much of it was untrue, or at least highly sensationalized by this Ludwig character, who clearly had a bone to pick. Just as he was unable to hold his tongue about his dislike of Poe, he was also not much of a secret keeper. A man named Rufus Griswold eventually let it slip that he was Ludwig, author of Poe's less-than-kind obituary. No one who knew him was surprised. Griswold and Poe knew each other well, and might have even called each other friends at various points in their lives, but it seems that in his core, Rufus Griswold did not like Edgar Allan Poe. This was no secret. He was probably jealous. But the obituary was just scratching the surface. Rufus made his greatest anti-Edgar Allan Poe statement when he published a biography which painted a picture of Poe as a pallid, pathetic, preposterously pernicious, and perhaps even paranormally repugnant person. (sighs) 
Was Poe a bad dude in reality? Meh, not really. He was pretty normal for the time, and sure, he was flawed, as we all are. But he was a talented, committed author, gifted with language and opinions. Poe invented an approach to stories that is still in use today, and he just might have been the first professional writer in America. Yes, Edgar Poe was a pretty normal guy when he was born in 1809 to parents who were stage actors. His dad quickly disappeared, leaving his mother Eliza to raise him while continuing her acting career. Unfortunately, Eliza was struck by tuberculosis and died while little Eddie was still young. The boy was taken in by the Allen family of Richmond, Virginia, and despite never being officially adopted, this is where his middle name comes from. The Allen family relationship had its positives and negatives, but thanks to his foster parents, he was able to attend good schools, study for a while in Europe, and actually cross paths with the famous Frenchman, the Marquis de Lafayette. After enrolling at the University of Virginia in 1826, the same year that its founder Thomas Jefferson died, Edgar Allan Poe found himself coming up short on some bills. So he took to gambling to cover his needs. But that's bad news, as you might guess. Poe just wound up deeper in debt. So he dropped out, joined the army, and also tried to sell some of his poetry. Both pursuits were better than gambling, but of the two, the army was decidedly more successful for him at the time. His first book, Tamerlane and Other Poems, debuted in Boston, and only 50 copies were printed. And he likely sold fewer than that. Not a stellar first release. But in the army, he rose to the rank of sergeant major for artillery, which was as high as he could rise as a non-commissioned officer. He then decided to attend military academy at West Point, and by all accounts, he was very good at pretty much everything. He was super smart, an avid reader, and a dedicated learner. Furthermore, his wit, quick conversation, and sense of humor made him popular. Which was why, when he asked his fellow cadets to pitch in a few bucks to help him publish a new book of poetry, his pals were more than willing. Of course, they expected the witty, comical takedowns of their teachers that they had come to know from Poe. When they finally got their eager mitts on the new book that they had helped to kickstart, they were disappointed to find pages filled with a mix of sad and lovey-dovey poems. As good as the writing may have been, the proto-Poe poems just weren't what they were expecting. Several of the cadets threw the book into the river in disgust. They'd never know what a fortune the sad, soggy books would be worth today. But as the years went on, Poe rose not in the army ranks, but instead in the artsy ranks. There are many American cities who claim Edgar Allan Poe as their native author. Richmond, Virginia, Baltimore, Maryland, Boston, Massachusetts, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and New York City, to name a few. This is because after leaving West Point, he bounced around many of these towns as he built up his professional writing career. Beyond poems, he began selling short stories to magazines, wrote more poetry, and began working as an editor for several other major magazines, including Graham's Magazine. At this time, most people would read new literature in periodicals such as newspapers in these magazines. Short stories were popular because they could easily fit in one issue. But this was also the way that many of the people of the time read works that we now think of as complete novels today. For example, Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel Uncle Tom's Cabin was first published in chapter-long installments in a publication called The National Era. 
In all, it took 40 weeks for the complete story to be printed and delivered to the public. Telling stories this way could sell a lot of newspapers and magazines, but it made it very hard to binge read your way through a gripping story like you can do when you have a full book ready to go right in your hands. Through periodicals and actual book printings between 1835 and his death in 1849, Edgar Allan Poe made himself one of the most important writers of his day. Some of his stories thrilled and scared people like the black cat and the telltale heart. Others built on the mysteries of the world and current events. The story MS found in a bottle reads like a message sent by a mysterious sailor who explored the oceans in the South Pole. It may have been inspired by John Cleve Symes' hollow earth theory, which we have discussed on this show. It also reads eerily similar at times to the journals kept by actual explorers who made it to Antarctica just a few years later. Today, you can browse a library or bookstore and find shelves full of detective and crime stories. These works of fiction center around someone trying to piece together evidence to solve a crime. It is said that so-called detective fiction was first invented and written by, you guessed it, Edgar Allan Poe. Before famous fictional detective Sherlock Holmes had ever been dreamt up by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Poe's detective, C. Auguste Dupin, was solving mysteries with a sidekick in three different stories, The Mystery of Marie Roget, Murders in the Rue Morgue, and The Purloined Letter. In fact, the Sherlock Holmes creator said he was inspired by Poe. In 1841, Poe was working as the editor of Graham's Magazine, a position which allowed him to write for thousands of readers and express his opinions about other writers in America. In fact, that first detective story, Murders in the Rue Morgue, first appeared in Graham's. Poe was a pretty big deal, and his reviews of other books were very important to readers. Which is why Rufus Wilmot Griswold approached him in 1842. Rufus was planning on publishing a collection of American poetry that he had chosen to be the finest representation of writers in America. Perhaps to butter Poe up for a good review, it was agreed that Poe would submit several poems for the book. When the book finally came out, Poe found only three of his poems in the pages, and he felt that there were a bunch of really bad poets and poems featured, and not enough of the ones that he thought were the good poems and poets. When talking with a friend, Poe called Rufus's book a most outrageous humbug and laughed at Griswold's taste. But that didn't mean that Poe wasn't going to listen to some talking when Rufus came a-knocking. Eddie, baby, it's your old pal Rufus. Rufus! How's my old pal doing? Great. I got this book I'd like for you to review. Even has some of your poems in it. I know you're going to like those. Oh yeah, all three of them. Indeed. Well, want to write a review or what? Usual fee is ten bucks. Which, as you know, is worth more now in 1842 than it will be in the future. Some kid in 2022 will probably think that's chump change if they ever heard about it. But why would they ever hear about such a thing? What are you talking about? Never mind. Got ten bucks? Sure, here you go. Make sure it's a good review. And here's the thing. It wasn't a good review. It wasn't exactly a bad review either, but it wasn't as good as Rufus had expected it would be. And this made Rufus mad. A year later, Rufus got some revenge. Poe stopped working as the editor of Graham's magazine. Guess who took his job? Rufus. Guess who got paid more than Poe? And guess who made sure that he knew about it? Also Rufus. 
For the next few years, their spats were off and on. They'd be nice to each other, but then one would inevitably take a dig at the other while giving a speech or leave the other out of a collection they were editing. Most people could clearly see the animosity between the two men. But Poe's talent was undeniable to Rufus. It was undeniable to anyone who read Poe, especially when he took the world by storm with a poem in 1845. It's hard to think of a poem as a smash hit, but The Raven was a smash hit. Still today, it is considered one of the finest poems ever written. More on that later. The poem made him a star, but because publishing rights were strange at the time, it was reprinted, plagiarized, and even lampooned without much payment to Poe's poor pocketbook. So it didn't make him rich. The same year, he actually asked Rufus to loan him 50 bucks. Rufus gave him 25. Poe died in 1849 under very mysterious circumstances. Some people think he might have been bitten by an animal with rabies. Others think he may have been poisoned. Others think it was something more nefarious. It could have been foul play. It could have been alcohol. It could have been something more natural. But because of his scary stories, it was largely believed to be something sinister. And this was largely because Rufus published an unflattering obituary, which painted Poe as a madman. And then he wrote an even more unflattering biography. It might have backfired on poor Rufus, though. Not many people these days know who Rufus Griswold was. But perhaps because of the image he created and the Halloween-themed character he painted of Poe, people everywhere have heard of, and many have even read Edgar Allan Poe's works over 170 years after his death. There are not many authors who can say that. In a way, it means that Poe lives forevermore. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. We're the All Creatures Podcast. Each week, Angie and I explore and share amazing details about the many animals we share our world with. Plus, Chris and I are both PhD scientists and educators. So we do the deep dives in the scientific research and then come back and share what we learn in a fun and casual way. We also speak with other scientists, animal experts, activists, and many other conservation enthusiasts from all over the planet. So you can find the All Creatures Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this month you have 30 seconds is Andy from Milford, Massachusetts, and he's here to tell us about someone from the Revolutionary War. On the night of April 18th, 1775, Paul Revere left home for his famous ride to Lexington. He forgot his spurs. 
His dog followed him too. Paul tied a note to the dog's collar and sat and sent him home. When the dog returned, the spurs were hanging on the dog's neck. Dogs to the rescue, bringing spurs. Pretty essential if you're going to have a horseback ride. Thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate that. I'm so glad you're out there. I'm so glad you listened to the show. And I thank you for sharing. That was great. Good work. Uh, if anyone else has a you have 30 seconds, there's instructions on the website. But really, you just make a recording in 30 seconds on a phone or an iPad or anything else uh, of a story from the past and send it to me. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Hey, it's quiz time again. Question number one. There is an American professional sports team named in honor of Edgar Allan Poe. Which one is it? It might surprise you to know that an American football team in the NFL is named after a poem. But the Baltimore Ravens are named in honor of Poe's association with the city of Baltimore and his most famous poem, the Raven. Question number two. In another poem called The Bells, Edgar Allan Poe invented the word tentenabulation to describe a very particular sound. What sound do you think it described? Tentenabulation. The word was created to describe the sound of bells ringing. And not just any bells. He covers many different kinds of bells in the poem, and with this he is referring to ones that jingle and tinkle, as compared to heavy iron bells that clang and clash and roar. It's an incredible poem, and actually one of my favorite composers, a man from Estonia named Arvo Pert, calls one type of music that he writes tintinabuli, which is an altered version of the word that Edgar Allan Poe created. Okay, question number three, your third and final question. Poe was quite athletic as a young man. One of his more impressive feats took place in the James River in Virginia. Was it swimming, holding his breath, diving, or gator wrestling? As much as I would like to tell you that Poe wrestled gators, he did not. As a young man, witnesses confirmed that Edgar Allan Poe swam seven and a half miles upriver against the current of the James River. Though we think of the Raven at Halloween time, it is not a Halloween poem. It was actually first published in January of 1845, and January is not a very scary month, traditionally speaking. Nevertheless, the New York Evening Mirror first published Poe's popular poem that month. It is 100 lines long, which made it a perfect fit for printing in periodicals. In the months that followed, it was reprinted in lots of other newspapers and magazines. But this didn't equal a lot of money for Edgar Allan Poe. It did make him famous. People loved the poem. It is said that Abraham Lincoln memorized it, but only after a friend sent him a parody version in which the raven is replaced by a polecat. In Europe, a polecat is a ferret-like creature, but in the United States, it is a nickname for a stinky skunk. Lincoln loved the funny skunk poem so much that he sought out the real poem, The Raven, and he loved that one even more. Lincoln lost a lot of important people in his life, and the author, Poe, was much the same. Many people have lost loved ones, 
and that's one reason why The Raven was and remains so popular. The poem focuses on the narrator's grief, but also people love the creepy idea of a talking bird showing up in the night and scaring some poor book lover. The poem is told from the perspective of someone reading at home at night, and the person has lost someone very important to them, Lenore. It seems that Lenore has passed away, and the narrator is in grief. As the night goes on, strange sounds are heard until, eventually, a raven finds its way inside the reading room. At first, the narrator asks the bird a question, to which the bird responds, Nevermore. This is shocking, but understandable. It is assumed that this is the only thing the bird can say. Ravens, like parrots, are capable of mimicking speech. So it is assumed at first that this word is probably something it learned from some other person. Knowing that this is the only thing it can say, the narrator keeps asking questions. Why would you ask questions you want a yes to if the only possible answer is no? Or rather, nevermore. Is this what the narrator wants? There are lots of ways to interpret this poem and I'll leave that to you. Or just enjoy the way that Poe used words. His language is amazing, and there's a natural music to it. And even if you don't understand it, it can just be interesting to listen to. So, without further ado, presented to you is Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volumes of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore. Nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more." Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer, "'Sir,' said I, "'or madam,' Truly, your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, 
all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely this is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn or shaven now, said I, art sure no craven. Ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled at this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door with such a name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at this stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hopes that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven, still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant and croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press. Ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser Perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, 
thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from the memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh quaff, this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home of horror haunted, tell me, truly I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead, tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Thank you so much for listening. And now I would like to say hello and thank you to just a few people. Um, I got a great note a while back from uh, someone from Malaysia. Uh, and uh, I know that there is a, a young man listening out there named Kam Hao Han from Malaysia and uh, still making it through the episodes. But here's a buried hello to you. So when you come across it, surprise. So glad you're out there listening. Hello from Kentucky. I'm thrilled to learn that you are tuned in. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Marin Walton in Maine. Hello, Marin. I'm so glad that you're listening too. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your ears. I'm glad that they have my show and probably other great shows in them. And you're listening. It's great. I love that so many people are listening to so many great kids podcasts. So keep it up. And thank you, Marin. That's about all I have to report to you right now. Um, We'll have big news on the book front soon. It is in layout. Actually, it's done with layout practically. So it is looking good. And I'm very excited. In the meantime, I hope you are enjoying your fall. Thank you very much. This has been The Past and the Curious. My name is Mick Sullivan. Go and be nice.